You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at winsboro.church. There is an inherent struggle that we all face. We have expectations that we set. And we see those expectations. And those expectations are expectations for our role in our family. Like, I'm a dad, and I have this expectation of what kind of dad I need to be. The role of being a husband. I have this expectation for the kind of husband I need to be. A job. I'm a preacher, obviously. I'm preaching to you this morning, and I have expectations in my mind of what kind of a preacher I need to be. And we look at those expectations, and generally, if we're honest, we don't quite live up to them. I know the kind of father, husband, minister that I need to be, And I try to be that. I remind myself every day to keep trying, but I'm a little bit short of the bar that I've even set for myself. What's my personality type, maybe, but I think most of us have that struggle. That we see where we need to be, and, and it's almost as if it's within our grasp, and yet it's so close, yet so far. And the same goes with holiness. This week's, this month's series is on holiness. And we see that bar set, the bar that we talked about last week. Be holy, for I am holy. God himself is our Father. Is our Father who is the perfect standard of holiness. And he calls us to that standard, saying, you are my children. Grow up, live up into this holiness I've set before you. And oh, we try. And we hopefully even change the way we look at our identity and who we are because we know that we are holy because of our Father, not trying to get to our Father. And yet that bar is right there. And I know that I'm falling short. I know that I'm missing the mark. I know that my holiness isn't living up to the standard that God's called me to. Be holy for I am holy. And I can say, well, I'm trying. Goodness. I fail. One thing I struggle with is how to come to peace with that struggle, how to surrender rather than keep trying harder, which is usually just self-defeating. How do I just let God do it? He is my father. He makes holy. I become holy. Again, we talked about all this last week and the foundational idea that's going to carry us through several of these lessons is holiness is based on relationship. My actions correlate And there is an expectation of holy actions that follow through with a holy life that has been made holy, but it's been made holy. It is based on my relationship to God, my relationship to Christ. 
And God himself said, be holy for I am holy. This week I want to keep that perspective. I don't want to go back on anything, but I want to just shift a little bit to get maybe a bigger picture. And that bigger picture is be holy because you are holy. You already are. I'm already, to use the word, a saint. We think about sainthood and like that person that's reached that bar. And I think, oh, I can never reach that bar. But you have. You already have. You are already a saint. Saint just means a holy person. And every member of the church is referred to as a saint whenever Paul writes to the churches. Colossians chapter 1. From Paul, Paul's writing the letter, and he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, who's with him, our brother, to the saints, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. All the members of the church in Colossae, all the faithful members of the church in Colossae, and there were no doubt a wide stratification of maturity as far as their spiritual maturity. I'm sure some Christians, maybe if we could quantify it as such, we would think, well, they acted with holiness here. Some acted with their holiness here. Some acted with their holiness here. But Paul says, you're all saints. You're all made holy. You're already attaining to the full measure of holiness because of what Christ has done for you. Christ has made you holy. And so many of the letters, like Colossians and so many more, the message that Paul is giving is, become who you are. You are already holy. Now, live up to it. Becoming who you are, that's kind of a phrase that some would use in self-actualization philosophy, the idea that you've got something deep down inside of you. You've, you've got the specialness deep down inside of you. You've just got to access it. You've got to find your path. You've got to find your purpose, your mission in life in order to grasp that contentment and that peace and, you know, and, and to make a difference. And we use all these terms in our culture and we give all these speeches at graduation ceremonies and such about all, all the good things you're going to do and because of what's inside of you. Here's the thing. If it's just me inside of me, I fail. And that struggle reinforces itself every day because every day I realize I'm not the perfect father that... I should be. I'm not the perfect husband that I should be. I'm not the perfect employee, worker, minister. I'm not the perfect Christian I should be. So when I rely on what's deep down inside here, as far as in me, I'm going to fall flat on my face. But actually, God says, oh, do rely. Do trust in who you are because, as we're talking about, God's tell, God tells us, I've made you holy. You are holy. Last week, because 
we were talking about be holy for I am holy, we kept going back to our relationship to God as our Father. This week, be holy because you already are holy, I want to use the imagery of marriage, an imagery that God uses for the Israelite people, an imagery that comes to the New Testament. We are the bride of Christ. Here's the thing about getting married. I got married 18 years ago. When that day ended, I was no longer a single man. That part of my identity had concluded. I now am a spouse. I now am a husband. And what changed? What changed? What made me a husband? And, well, I'll tell you what didn't make me a husband. I didn't perfectly fulfill my role as being a husband in that moment. I did not change from August the 17th to August the 18th to being this perfect person who fully served and loved and cared for and led and watched over his wife. I was still the same broken person I was on August the 17th. So what changed? What changed my identity? Well, a piece of paper? Uh, well, that's changed my status as far as the state of Oklahoma was concerned. We got married in Oklahoma, in Sulphur, Oklahoma, outside at the park. And that piece of paper has, you know, weight to it, but really it's just a legal document that the government wants, and that, you know, is a good, definitely a good thing to have, that formal recognition. But what really made me a husband was a promise, a vow, the marriage vow, the marriage promise, because I promised to be faithful until death do us part. I changed. I became something that I was not before. I became a husband. God has promised His holiness. Jesus has given us His holiness. Look at Ephesians 5, this famous passage about husbands and wives. He says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to sanctify, to make her holy. That's what sanctify means. He gave himself for her to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word, so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. So Jesus takes us and says, you're my bride. The church, the people of God, the people that would follow, would listen, would say, I surrender to you, who would turn their life over to him. Jesus says, you're my bride. And we would respond with, oh, not me. I'm too ugly. Here's, here's the bar of the bride. You deserve Jesus. I'm down here. Way down there. Jesus says, no, you're not. I've made you clean. I've made you holy. I've lifted you up. 
You are holy. It's not just an idea or a wishful thinking. Oh, I hope you're holy someday. No, actually, in the moment that a person gets married, they become a full-fledged wife or husband. It's not, well, I'm going to get married and then maybe 30 or 40 years, then I'll be a wife or a husband. No, it's today. In that moment, you become a wife or a husband because you make a promise and you receive a promise. Whenever we receive the promises of God through the blood of Christ, when we immerse ourselves, baptism is such a beautiful picture of giving in to God's will for our life, to God's idea and plan and identity for us. Whenever we're baptized and then come back a new creation, and what's that new creation? It's the bride of Christ a part of the body of Christ, a part of his church, whom he has cleansed, whom he has washed, without blemish or stain. You already are holy because of that promise. Now, strive, and strive's a good word. It means it's going to be hard. There will be days that it's hard. As most of those who are married full well know, there's going to be hard days. But you don't give up because you already are a husband. Some days you might feel more successful than others. Some days you might feel like a complete failure. I know I do. But that doesn't change who I am. I already am a husband. So live like it. Act like it. Be like it. Be holy. Because that's who you are. Now again, just like last week, that doesn't mean that we don't take it seriously. That doesn't mean we just shrug and say, oh, I already am, so it doesn't matter. No, it becomes even more important to live up to that holiness because we already are. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected, he has raised us to the full heights of the bar of holiness, he has perfected for all time those who are made holy. We've been made holy, and we've been perfected in that holiness because of Christ. Well, then I got nothing to worry about. Well, keep reading Hebrews chapter 10. It gets kind of scary. And I want us to let it be a little bit scary. Verse 26, same chapter. For if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins is left for us but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. Remember last week, Nadab and Abihu? Fire consumed them. Someone who rejected the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much greater punishment do you think that person deserves who has contempt for the Son of God and profanes? Again, that's the opposite of holy. The person who takes something 
as holy as Jesus and then makes it unholy, profanes the blood of the covenant that made him holy and insults the spirit of grace. For we know the one who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying, this is a terrifying statement. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You are to be holy. You shall be holy. You are holy. And I will take nothing less, God says. Because I am holy, because I've already made you holy. Now be holy. Get rid of what does not belong. If something is keeping you from being that Christian that you need to be, get rid of it. Cast it aside. Say, I'm done. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles, which Hebrews tells us as well, and set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the one who brings us up to that perfect level, the author and perfecter of our faith. Take it seriously, because it is a terrifying thought. I will say this. I don't mean to lessen the warning here, but I want to put it in what I think is its proper perspective, and let's get back to this marriage idea. Jesus here is not talking about burning the toast. If we are the bride of Christ, Jesus isn't going to leave us because we burnt the toast. Because we didn't have supper ready on the table. At, you know, or because we didn't have the house pristine and clean. He's not going to leave us because we hmm, let a word slip. We got angry and had some bitter thoughts or maybe spoke harshly and said some hurtful words. This is talking about that person. And I've known, I've known some who it became pretty obvious that whenever they were standing up there on their wedding day, making their vows, they had very little intention of following through with those vows. They had very little intention of being faithful. Some, I haven't even known that, um, even were looking up to uh, have a unholy relationship with some of the wedding party itself. Not his bride, but bridesmaids. And that's kind of sickening. Right? Oh, how dare someone do that? And that's exactly what Hebrews is saying. How dare someone do that? We're not just talking about a mistake. Because we're going to keep having those. I'm going to keep struggling. Absolutely. I mean, I've been trying for many decades and I'm still trying. But here's the thing. I'm not giving up. And that's what we talked about last week too. Not giving up. I'm not going to stop being faithful. Because that is the defining mark 
of a husband, or in this case, the bride of Christ of the church. Going back to Colossians chapter 1. To the saints, to the faithful, you are saints because you are faithful. You are saints because you are not just chasing the next opportunity or, or going back on your relationship with Jesus and, again, not caring. Because what Hebrews is painting a picture of someone who doesn't care. They know they're in the wrong. They know that they should be faithful. They know that they made a promise, that they made a vow, like a husband or a wife. But they get to the point of, well, there's a good-looking person over there. Hmm. And no hesitancy, no regret, no even thought that maybe they shouldn't be doing that. Eh, what are you going to do? If you have that perspective, then it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God because you're going back on that promise. God knows we're imperfect, but he makes us holy and he will keep making us holy because he has already made us holy because we belong with him, because we're the bride of Christ. But oh, don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever say it doesn't matter and I can do what I want. No, actually, that's the worst thing you can say. As Hebrews chapter 6 warns, it's better than to never have been in that relationship at all than to take that relationship and toss it aside like it doesn't matter. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 is talking about, just tossing it aside like it doesn't matter, taking something holy and treating it as profane. Don't do that, and definitely don't do it with Jesus. But that's not the end of chapter 10. Chapter 10 does not end on this warning. Now, it spends quite a few verses talking about it, but the last verse of chapter 10 actually brings us back around to hope. Because chapter 11 is a great chapter. The Hall of Fame of Faith. Look at all these faithful people. Imperfect people, but faithful people. People who God has made holy. Primarily, and that they did not give up. And they kept their promise to be faithful to God. And so the transition from this warning, this kind of scary warning in chapter 10, to this beautiful scripture in chapter 11, is verse 39. We are not among those who shrink back and thus perish, but are among those who have faith and preserve their souls. You're not the quitting kind. That's what the author of Hebrews tells, tells his audience. It's a dangerous thing to quit. It's a dangerous thing to give up. It's a dangerous thing to wholeheartedly not care about your faithfulness anymore, that promise that you made. Because then the relationship's already broken, and our holiness is based on relationships. So if that relationship is broken... We're the opposite of holy. But the author of Hebrews says, yeah, that's, that is a trap you don't want to fall into. That's a path you don't want to go down. And then he says, I don't think you will. You won't. Why? Because we aren't those who shrink back. 
We aren't those that quit. We aren't those who give up. We aren't those who toss in the towel and don't care about our faithfulness anymore. He said, no, you, you are among those who have faith and preserve their souls, just like he gets in chapter 11, people like Abraham, people like Noah, and so many others, this hall of fame. And these, some of the greatest examples of faith in Scripture were not perfect. But they attained sainthood, we could say, not because they did everything right, but because they were faithful. Some of you have many more years under your belt as far as your marriage than 18, like I do. 30 years. 40 years, 50 years. I know a couple in Iowa that's actually at 70 years. Beautiful, wonderful. And the thing is, that couple in Iowa, I'll speak for him, or I'll speak about him at least, and, um, and I'll tell you this too, he's not easy to, leave, he's not easy to live with. <laughs> he can be kind of a, Grumpy old codger. But you know what? He's been faithful to his wife. And he loves her. And she's been faithful to him. They haven't quit. And I don't want this sermon just to be about marriage. That's another topic. I just I'm using the idea of you are married to Christ. I don't know what your marriage on earth looks like. Other than guaranteed, if you are married, it's imperfect. But we who are in Christ are married to Christ and have given a vow and received his vow and it has made us holy. So live like it. And the primary way we live like it is we're faithful. Faithful to Jesus. Faithful to not give up. To each day start anew and say, hmm. I'm going to follow him. And thereby, living up to, growing into our holiness. 